Good morning. Uh, well, as Jeremy said, my name is Jesse Andre, and I am incredibly excited and incredibly nervous to be speaking to you today. My husband and I have been attending Common Way since it was a small, mostly college-age service back in the mid-2000s, and we have grown our own family as Common Way has grown to what it is today. It is truly one of life's deep pleasures to be part of something like Common Way and feel like you've been here from the ground up. It's a really special place. When Jeremy asked me if I would be willing to preach today, he gave me two ground rules. Talk about myself, okay, easy, and talk about Jesus. And so I started praying that God would give me the words he wanted me to say, and he did. He really laid it on my heart. So a little bit about me, some background. I'm a teacher. Don't worry. I'm going to assume that all of us are on our Bible app, all the phone scrolling. We're all good with that. But I will rearrange the seating chart if things get unruly. I know we all have our spots here. I currently work at Delta Middle School teaching seventh grade English, and the complicated part of my career is that I have worked a lot of places in a relatively short amount of time. I've taught in four different corporations, six different buildings, one of them two separate times. I've taught four different grade levels. I've worked for countless principals and vice principals and had more colleagues than I could even attempt to count. And I've only been teaching for 12 years. My career journey has obviously had many twists and turns, and to say that God has been at work in all of them would be a severe understatement. There were many years when I didn't know where I would be working, or what I should do, or where I should apply, or where God wanted me. Um, but looking back and seeing God's hand in it is very evident to me now. I've been married to my husband, Cameron, for 13 years. We have three children, Nora, Graham, and Amelia, who we call Millie. They are eight, seven, and two, and we are pretty much in the thick of the parenting littles stage. I know some of you can relate. In fact, this sermon was written while also simultaneously breaking up sibling fights, making lunch, replacing batteries in at least two different toys, and putting the toddler down for a nap. Cameron and I are high school sweethearts, and we've been together for more than half of our lives. Shout out to church camp romance. <laughs> we both grew up in southern Indiana, me in Georgetown, him in Paoli, and Ball State brought us here to Muncie. We always thought that after college, we would move to a bigger city for Cameron to pursue a career in telecommunications. But God had other plans, and we ended up staying uh, here in Muncie, and Cameron accepted a job at Taylor University in the sports information department. He ended up working at Taylor in sports information and then also as the men's and women's golf coach for 12 years. It was totally not what we thought, mostly what I thought we were going to do. <laughs> Uh, but last summer, he accepted a job back at our alma mater, Ball State, and he is the full-time women's head golf coach and getting ready to start his second season. So that's my family in a nutshell. I think I have a picture. Aren't we so cute? <laughs> All right, talk about myself. Check. 
I mentioned a moment ago that my career had many times when I saw God's guidance and his will for me displayed. But today I'd like to talk about something that's a little bit more recent in my life when it comes to my relationship with Jesus and my personal walk with him. Before I get to that, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever been at a point in your life where you are faced with a decision or a situation or even a moment that just made you think, something's missing, something feels off, maybe even something has got to change? I know for most of us in this room, the answer to that question is yes. Maybe it's been a health issue or a relationship situation. Maybe it's been financial or spiritual. It could be something that you've just come through. Maybe it happened a long time ago. Maybe you're there right now. I've experienced this feeling many times. It's related to my career and my goals and other areas of my life. But about nine months ago, I experienced this feeling in a larger way than I ever have before. And when I slowed down enough to actually feel what was happening in my life, I recognized that there was a problem. So a little bit about my background. I grew up in the church. My parents became believers when I was a toddler, and I have never known life without church. I am extremely thankful to not have very much church baggage, as many who are my age and grew up similarly to me do. I loved the churches that my family attended, and growing up, I knew that Jesus loved me, and he wanted a personal relationship with me. And most of my life, I even thought, I don't have a testimony. I've never done anything that wrong on the good Christian girl checklist. Sure, I've had my struggles, but look at my friend over here. Man, she's really going through it. Or look at my family member who's struggling. Wow. My life is a cakewalk compared to theirs. I knew God's in my heart. I belong to him. He cares about me. He forgives me when I sin. And I knew I was good with that. But honestly, what I thought was, God's got bigger issues to worry about than my little mess ups. Some of you I know can relate to me. And some of you, some of my dear friends, can't say those things. Please know I'm not bragging about that. As I grew up in both physical age and spiritual maturity, I did make my relationship with God much more personal. Having children only solidified that more because there is something about wanting your children to experience God's love that really makes you assess your own relationship with him. I know that there are some of you in this room today because of that. My parents did that for my sister and me, and I couldn't be more thankful. As an adult living in a city that is not my hometown, it took over 10 years, but I found a small group of close friends, and we are living life together. We talk about Jesus and parenting our kids and navigating the ups and downs of today's world and including being our best insert Enneagram number selves. But this past October, something inside of me fell off. I looked in the mirror and I didn't recognize myself. I was uncomfortable 
in my own skin. And that was not something I wanted to feel anymore. I chalked it up to a weight issue. And then what started as a health journey for me turned into something much bigger. But can we pause here for just a second? I'm a woman talking about a health journey. <laughs> and I know that is so cliche. <laughs> but statistically speaking, 49% of Americans have tried to lose weight in the last 12 months. A higher percentage of that number are women at around 56%, but a very substantial 41% of them are men. So why am I telling you this? Well, first of all, it's very scary to talk about. But if these stats are correct, and the CDC tells me that they are, at least half of this room can relate to how I've felt. But honestly, my money's on more than half. So anyway, in October, I looked at myself and I thought, I have a weight problem. But what I didn't realize until later was that my problem was deeper than that. And it was bigger than that. I ended up going with a program that included personal coaching. And I tell you this because it was this aspect that made the most difference in understanding some of the deeper issues going on with me. My coach and I worked on a lot of my pitfalls in previous attempts to get healthier or lose weight, you know, things like what usually trip me up and helped me uh, work on some good habits to replace bad ones. And all of that was fantastic. I was seeing some results, I was feeling a little bit better, and I was starting to feel like I was on the right track. Can anybody relate? It's a, it's a great feeling to kind of get some things turned around. By March, I was feeling better. But again, things were unraveling within me that allowed me to see that this feeling I had, it was an unsettled, kind of off mentality, was bigger than just weight loss or getting healthier. I finally felt like my body was closer and on the right track to where I wanted it to be, but my mind and soul were stagnant. My coach announced to our Facebook group that she was starting a new devotional and wondered if anyone wanted to do it with her. It was called Made to Crave, 60 Days to Craving God, Not Food by Lisa Turkhurst. The thought of linking my health with God was intriguing to me because honestly, it wasn't something I'd ever done before. I have lived my whole adult life thinking, well, if this is my issue, if my weight or my health is my issue, it's not that bad. At least I'm not X, Y, Z. Maybe I would throw up a quick, you know, Lord, help me to be strong and stick to my goals today type of prayer every now and then when I was dieting or trying a new exercise routine. But intertwining my faith and my eating habits or my workouts, that was new for me. For my friends and family who are listening to this, you know where I'm going. Uh, basically, I had a revelation every day. I started journaling while I was doing this, and it was some of my most impactful, reflective time that I've ever had spiritually. And I'd like to share something that I wrote uh, very early on in my Made to Crave journey. I think it was like day two. Um, in response to the verse James 1, 2, which I'm sure you're familiar with, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. 
And Lisa in the devotional writes, though I know there are many more serious trials than my weight struggles, issues in this area make me feel vulnerable, incapable, and insecure. And I wrote in my journal, gosh, I could have written this. I can't even say how many times this verse has been preached about, and I had two thoughts. One, my weight is my trial. And two, that is insane. People have actual problems. Get over yourself. (laughs) So we had a Zoom meeting as part of this devotional um, weekly, and um, it was a few days after I had journaled this, and I brought it up to the group. And it turns out I wasn't the only one that thought this way. But it got me thinking even further. Why wouldn't God care about my trials? Even if I feel like they should be trivial to him. Just a few more weeks into this devotional, I was starting to see a real change in the way that I approached my health. And I wrote this in my journal. Lisa, uh, the author, said, Receive grace and let it wash away all shame and guilt from every unhealthy choice you've ever regretted and fretted over. And I wrote, As I sit here and marinate in these words, I'm trying to let the Lord bring me to a place of grace and not shame. This path toward health and my journey to a better physical body has unintentionally brought me closer to God and seen just how much my spiritual life and relationship with Him is intertwined in this. May I never lose sight of that. So that's been a big piece of my journey since October of last year. However, when I was thinking about this sermon and praying about how God wants to use my story to give you a message, a very particular scene from scripture popped into my mind. As I sat with it and studied it, I am very convinced that God has intertwined my story and this one to bring you a message. Recently, I watched an episode of The Chosen that actually highlighted this story, and I've read it in scripture and heard it many times, and I'm sure you have too, but there's something about that show that really brings it to life, and if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. It's the season finale of the first season, and it's Jesus meeting the woman at the well. And because I'm an English teacher, I'll try not to get too intense dissecting this, uh, but we will look at it as a whole first, and then we'll dive into it closer after. So let's look at it in scripture together. If you have a Bible, it's John 4, 4 through 30. It will be on the screen. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near a plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God... And who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, 
Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will, get, will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman. Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in the truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. So, this woman had Jesus look her in the eye and tell her something that she was, first of all, extremely ashamed of. And second of all, not exactly broadcasting to the public. This was not something that a passerby would just happen to know about her. It was a secret that she carried with her. But look at his message to her. Let's go back to the verse right after he tells her what he shouldn't possibly know, that she's had five husbands. She gets a little defensive, it seems. Look at 19 and 20. Sir, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. To me, it seems like she's trying to make sense of some things, you know? First, it's obvious to her that he's a prophet. How else would he know all of this about her life? Secondly, we have to consider that Jews had never historically equaled good news to Samaritans. The discord between them was so intense that Jewish people added days to their trips to go around Samaria altogether instead of the quicker, more direct route that would take them through the country. So if Jesus is telling her she can get living water from him and that he has the gift of God for her, how does that make sense if he's a Jew talking to her, a Samaritan woman? And thirdly, I think we need to consider, she's talking to a man. 
And I don't know about you, but given her background, I can hear just a little bit of annoyance, maybe even some sass, that she's challenging him with her question. She doesn't want to listen to yet another man make her promises that sound too good to be true. She does not have time for that. But in his gracious and loving wisdom, Jesus answers her. Look at 21. Woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. So he is addressing her concerns about him being Jewish and her being Samaritan. He acknowledges it. He brings it up. But he doesn't stop there. He gives her hope, and he answers her question. 23. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. So after that exchange, she admits that she knows about the Messiah. She has knowledge of the ancient scriptures, and she wants him to know that she's beginning to understand But the last piece of the puzzle is about to be put into place. Jesus drops his truth bomb verse in 26. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. That's a lot. And if you're like me, When you read scripture, you try to put yourself in the story, right? And this one's easy. Um, We are obviously not the Messiah. So um, we're the woman. So if I am the woman in this story, what is he trying to say to me? Uh, I don't have five husbands. I don't even have a very storied past or a huge underlying secret I hope nobody finds out. I'm not the town pariah who can't be trusted around my friends' husbands. We've already gone over the fact that I grew up thinking I didn't even have a testimony. So what does this story have to do with me? After I sat and reflected on the whole scene and then was also so moved by the episode uh, of this portrayed in The Chosen, I kind of had a different question pop up. Why did Jesus go through Samaria at all? So some background on the scene quickly. Jesus was traveling from Judea in the south to Galilee in the north. And there were two common routes. You could take one or the other. Uh, One was to the east, around Samaria, and one was to the west. If Jesus told his disciples, or anyone for that matter, that they were all headed north to Galilee, either of those routes would have been what was assumed. But look back at the very first verse in our passage, John 4, 4. Now he had to go through Samaria. 
Why would John say that Jesus had to go through Samaria? Surely John is drawing our attention to this on purpose. The phrase would have caught the eye of anyone reading it in those days. So why? Why did he have to go through? Now, I'm not a Bible scholar. I have an education degree, uh, not a seminary one. But lots of Googling has confirmed my theory that basically Jesus went through Samaria for one reason, or rather, one person, the woman. Is that blowing your mind? (laughs) One person, the whole trip for one person. She doesn't even get a name in this encounter that John recorded, but it's pretty clear that Jesus didn't have to go through Samaria. It wasn't the traditional route, wasn't the safest route, but he did it anyway to see her, to tell her that he was the Messiah. And in fact, in the Gospel of John, this is so significant. She was the first person he revealed himself to directly outside of his disciples. So back to me. What does Jesus have to say about my life? Here's what I think. I think Jesus knows me and he cares. Hear me, I'm going to say it again. He cares about me, about my life, about everything I've ever done, about everything I do every day, about it all. Even when I put him in a box, even when I think my problems are too small for him to worry about, even when I mess up big time, he cares and he wants to cross into that unfamiliar where I don't want him to get to me. Jesus knew the woman. He knew everything about her. And he still cared enough to go find her. Now let's take that moving forward. It puts things in a whole new perspective. What if God actually cares how I treat my body? What if it matters to him what I snack on at night? I know that sounds so silly and so ridiculous, but that's where I started in this journey once this revelation hit me. What if he cares about the choices I make when it's after school and I am done and I just want to unwind and check out? What if he cares about every tiny detail of my life and not just the big moments or the life-altering events? Viewing God with that lens, I started to see the hole filling up in my soul. Letting God in to an area that started with my health and my physical body permeated my entire soul. And as God is wont to do, once you let him in, he starts spreading into everything else. Now, Have I come to the end of my journey and I am a fully fit, perfectly well-balanced individual who has it all figured out? Uh Uh-huh, no, I do not. (laughs) Uh, Not in the slightest, but I am changed. 
I've been moved by God's love for me and his care and his knowledge of me. And I'm watching it affect my whole being as a teacher, as a mother, a wife, as a friend. I am continuously learning new lessons God is trying to teach me. And I am also failing spectacularly. But the biggest difference between where I am now as opposed to nine months ago is I'm letting God be on this ride with me. He's always wanted to be. He cares enough about me to come and be with me. And in this life, I am finding that his company is the only one that truly satisfies and comforts. His company is the only one that brings peace instead of shame, that brings encouragement instead of criticism, that brings truth instead of lies. I know that some of you might be hearing my story and maybe thinking what I thought. Wow, those are some hard-hitting problems you've overcome. Can't believe I'm listening to a sermon about you wanting to lose some weight 10 months ago. But I hope you can hear through that and hear the main message. No matter what you're going through, Jesus wants to be on this journey with you. It's not too big, but it's also not too small for him to handle. Something my health coach talks about with me um, about my health journey is that it's like a road trip. We use that metaphor a lot whenever we're talking about things. And I think it's totally applicable when thinking about Jesus being with us as well. He's not waiting for you to get it together before he can climb in the car. He wants to be there for the smooth sailing down the highway, but the on-ramps and the off-ramps and the flat tires and the side of the road, and he will ride shotgun with you in the front seat of the tow truck while you watch your car being towed to the body shop. And I know that was a long metaphor, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Jesus knows us and loves us and wants to be with us. I want to give you the opportunity today to actually watch the scene that we've just read about. Hopefully it can come to life a little bit. I hope you use this as an opportunity to encounter Jesus for yourself. Would you give me a drink? Me? That's bad, huh? What? You, would you ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan, and a woman? I'm sorry. I should have said please. You know, it's not safe for you to be alone out here. Nor you. Why haven't you come with others? Why so late in the day? Don't women come to the wells in the cool of the morning? Yeah, well, none of them will be seen with me, so I have to come with you in the heat. You have so kindly reminded me. Why won't they be seen with you? Long story. I, I 
it's still like a drink of water if you can spare it. Amazing what a parched throat will do. Aren't I unclean to you? Won't you be defiled by this vessel? Maybe some of my people say that about your women, but I don't. Yeah? And what do you say? I say if you knew who I am, you'd be asking me for a drink. Really? And I would give you living water. Would. Except that you have nothing to throw water with, and this is a deep well. Besides, what do you need from me if you have your own supply of living water? Long story. But Jewish water is better than Samaritan water. Hmm? That's not what I said. Are you a better man than our ancestor Jacob, who dug this well? Your water is better than his? I know, Jacob. And everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. Wouldn't that be nice? The water I give will become in a person a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Really? Yes, really. Prove it. First, go and call your husband and come back. I will show you both. I don't have a husband. You are right. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. <laughs> oh, I see. You're a prophet. You're here to preach at me. No. Usually the one good thing about coming here alone is I can escape being condemned. I'm not here to condemn you. I've made mistakes. Too many. But it's men like you who have made it impossible for me to do anything about it. How? Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews insist Jerusalem is the only place for true worship. They say that because the temple is there. Yeah. Exactly where we're not allowed. I'm here to break those barriers. And the time is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. So, where am I supposed to go when I need God? I've never received anything from God, but I couldn't thank him, even if I did. Anywhere. God is spirit. And the time is coming and is now here. That it won't matter where you worship, but only that you do it in spirit and truth. Heart and mind, that, that is the kind of worshiper he's looking for. It won't matter where you're from or what you've done. Do you believe what I'm telling you? <laughs> Until the Messiah comes and explains everything and sort this mess out, including me. I don't trust in anyone. You're wrong when you say that you've never received anything from God. <coughs> this Messiah you speak of, I am he. The first one was named Ramin. You were a woman of purity who was excited to be married, but he wasn't a good man. He hurt you, and it made you question marriage and even the practice of your faith. 
The second was Farzad. On your wedding night, his skin smelled like oranges. And to this day, every time you pass by the oranges in the market, you feel guilty for leaving him because he was the only truly godly man you've been with. But you felt unworthy. Why are you doing this? I have not revealed myself to the public as the Messiah. You are the first. It would be good if you believed me. You picked the wrong person. I came to Samaria just to meet you. <laughs> Do you think it's an accident that I'm, I'm here in the middle of the day? I am rejected by others. I know, but not by the Messiah. And you know these things because you are the Christ. I'm going to tell everyone. I was counting on it. <laughs> Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. It won't be all about mountains or temples. Soon. Just the heart. You promise? I promise. This man told me everything I've done. Oh, he must be the Christ! <laughs> You forgot your arm. Um, Rabbi, we got food. What would you like? Ah, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Who got you food? <laughs> If Jesus was willing to go into a hostile environment, throw modern day common decency to the wind, and talk to an outcast Samaritan woman, imagine how far he's willing to go for you. We don't get the pleasure of meeting Jesus in the flesh and having him tell us that in person, that he's the Messiah, that he knows us, that he cares about us. But we can invite him into our lives and into our hearts. We can talk to him every day and ask him to be with us. And I'm telling you, it's worth it. Every second that he's with me, Every choice I make, every f trial that I face, it's better to have him with me than to go it alone. Than to think, my stuff is too small. Or my stuff is insignificant compared to others. I hope you will consider it too. Let him walk with you through your days, your relationships, 
and your job and your goals, your dreams, whatever journey that you are on. Just let him join you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this church and the family that it has been to me for most of my adult life. Thank you for the people who pour into me and my family and continually teach me more about you. Thank you for wanting to be part of my life through all the ups and downs, in the small and the large, and everything in between. Lord, the peace that you provide is unmatched. Be with all those here today. I pray that you show them your love in a tangible way this week. Help us all turn our hearts towards you as we go into our week. In Jesus' name.